The sermon text this morning is John 5, 30 through 47. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have sent your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Again, our sermon text is going to be from John chapter 5. John chapter 5. And as you are turning there, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, you indeed are worthy of all things, of our lives, of our hearts. You are worthy of all of our praise, of all, our, all of our affections. God, draw them to you, God. You are worthy, your Son is worthy to receive our power and riches and wisdom and might and blessing and glory and honor. May that be abundantly clear in this text, God. May we be drawn to you through your word. May you use your word right now as you have for thousands of years to draw your people to you. That those for whom your son has died will worship you and worship you in spirit and in truth. And with unending praise, God, break our hearts before you and mold them again into your image. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. John chapter 5. <clears throat> Trial by ordeal. Trial by ordeal. In case you think our judicial system is messed up, which it is, go back to the, about the 9th to the 13th century. 
And they, what you'll see is that this trial by jury in the English-speaking world is rather a, a recent phenomenon. And prior to this, how did they uh, handle most of their trials? If they couldn't come to a quick conclusion, it would be the trial by ordeal. And so what you would do is take this man or this woman and accuse whoever has been accused and subject them to some barbaric torture, right? And if he's guilty, you're hoping that he'll just confess before he has to endure this. But if the man's innocent, well, God's God and he'll preserve him through it, won't he? So one of the most common ways that you would do this trial by ordeal is the trial by water, one of the favorites. And in this, you would take your Poor, your poor subject, you tie up his hands behind his back and, and his feet together, and you go to the lake or you go to the river, and whoop, in he goes. You throw him in. If he floats, it's not what you think. If he floats, he's guilty. And then you can gouge his eyes out or do whatever you want. But if the man sinks, then he's innocent. Makes sense, right? So he's down at the bottom of the lake or the river, lungs filling with water. But you know, and everybody else knows, that this man is innocent. The very thing, the very thing that is to prove their innocence in this trial by ordeal, this trial by water, the very thing that is to prove their innocence ends up being the means of their condemnation. It's the same thing we see here in our text. These Jewish people, they, they claim their innocence and they're going to point to all of these things. They're going to say, hey, we have the scripture. And they're going to point to all of these things. And that by which they think they will be able to prove that they're innocent will actually stand over them and be the means of their condemnation. So what are we going to be driving at here? You're going to see all of these things. You're going to see John the Baptist. They turn to the, the works of Christ, the voice of God the Father, and Scripture itself. They will appeal to Scripture. They know Moses. They have doctrine. But they refuse to come and they refuse to believe. But God has given them every reason to believe. That's what I'm hoping you're going to see out of this. As God has given not only them, but God has given every, you every reason to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, that he was sent of God, that he has come to redeem his people from their sins. You have no excuse. You have all of these witnesses that we will see in our text. First, you're going to see the witness of John, John the Baptist. You're going to see the witness of the works, the works of Christ, attest that he was sent by God. The witness of the Father. And then finally, the witness of Scripture itself. John the Baptist, the works of Christ, the voice of our Heavenly Father, and then Scripture itself, all bringing you to a place where you can believe that Jesus is Christ. Let's do a little recap here. We see that we're at the, nearing now the end of this exchange between Jesus and the, these Jewish officials in, in and around the temple. Remember the great division that was held within their eyesight. You have the temple and all of its grandeur and all of the pomp and circumstances that is happening. And right there, maybe 50 yards away to the north, you see this pool of Bethesda where the weak and the lame would gather, the outcasts of society. They would go there as a last 
last means of hope, hoping that these waters would revive and restore their souls and their bodies. And they see the temple there up above them, and they know that they can't go. They can't ascend up that hill physically, spiritually. They cannot go up there. But praise be to God, there's one who has come down from the temple, and he goes to them. And he comes and he heals this man, Christ does, who's been neglected for 38 years. And he's asked him if he'd like to be well. And he heals the man upon the Sabbath. And this obviously causes quite the uproar with amongst the Pharisees. who they've, they've, held themse- they've hemmed themselves in with tradition, so they can't do much else besides sit around on the Sabbath. And... Won't you recall, harumph, harumph, they would say to themselves, didn't our good fathers, didn't our good fathers stone a man to death for picking up his, some sticks on the Sabbath? By the word of Moses, how much more should we condemn this man who has told another? This poor soul, this man has told him not to pick up sticks, but to pick up his mat, and not only that, but to walk. And he's done it on the Sabbath. And you can see the uproar that's causing over this. No concern whatsoever about the soul of the man who was just healed. No concern whatsoever about his physical condition. No, we could care less about that. But it was done, and it was done on the Sabbath. Christ responds to them. He says, what makes God God? That he has both life and death. In his hands. And in the same way, Christ holds now both life and death in his hands. You see it exemplified in this man being given physical life and then spiritual life after this exchange in the temple. It is his son, not just the father, but it is his son who now brings judgment and death. But it is also the son, who he says in verse 26, who has life within himself. And he will give this life to whomever he pleases, according to the will of the Father. And we partake of this life, not just by hearing it, not just by hearing the word of the Lord, but by believing as well. Let us not be like them who just hear the word of the Lord and and then move on, but believe as well. And then this life, through belief in Christ, leads then to the resurrection. That's what we've seen in this exchange so far. But you come up to the obvious question, how can you make that claim? Okay, so you're going to say that you're sent by God. How can you make that claim? What are your witnesses? How do you prove it? Well, he, he turns to John. He turns to his own works. He turns to his father. And then to Scripture to prove that they have no excuse that there is no other way but belief. It's incredibly obvious. We might not see it until God opens up our eyes, but it's incredibly, incredibly, incredibly obvious. So in verse 30, he says, I can do nothing of my own. I said, here I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. I'm not the one... Upholding myself. No, there's other people who are all pointing to me, to Christ. Bringing you, calling you, pulling you to believe and turn away from your sins. So the first one, see, is John the Baptist here. Verse 33. 
Look at your Bibles. Read along if you have them open. You sent to John. You went to John. You sent others to John. And he has borne witness to the truth. That truth, by the way, is Christ, right? He's borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I received is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have, the first part of 36, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. You Pharisees, you went to John, didn't you? This burning and bright light, you were drawn to him. You were there when he was baptizing. You couldn't help but to go see what was happening. You were there when, I was, when Christ was baptized. They were there, rightfully. They were called a brood of vipers by John. Let's see if you recall from chapter 1, who is, who is John? Verse 6, there came a man sent from God whose name was John. It's John the Baptist. He was, he was sent by God, but even John, who's pointing to Christ, doesn't begin to minister of his own volition or of his own will. No, he was sent by God. Even while he's in the womb of his mother, Elizabeth, the Holy Spirit is beginning to work upon him. Verse 7. And he came to bear, he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. John's whole ministry, his whole focus was this big arrow pointing to Christ. All of the holiness and devotion to God was intended to prepare God's people to receive and to see Christ. That was his whole life. That was the purpose of his whole life as a prophet of God. In verse 8, in chapter 1, he says, He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. I'm not it. I'm not it. I'm pointing to another. You Pharisees who are coming to see me, you should see this. It should be abundantly clear. He's telling them all the time, I must decrease, he must increase. You men who want to go in the ministry, that should be the anthem of your ministry. I must decrease, he must increase. John the Baptist, he would say, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. I'm not worthy of it all. But these Pharisees, with their scaled eyes and hard hearts, were drawn to the light even they were drawn to this light that burned in John the Baptist. This light was so bright and refreshing, they were even caused, as you see in our text, they were caused to rejoice. And you were willing to rejoice in this light. So, how does John then relate to Christ? What do we see here? But the testimony you see that I have is greater than that of John. You think John's amazing, which he is. But even Christ's testimony is greater than that. John was the voice in the wilderness. Christ was the voice of God through whom all things were made. John is the one giving this baptism of repentance in Jordan River. Christ is the one to whom we have repentance through. 
and repentance unto him. John was laid in a tomb and is still awaiting the final resurrection. Christ was laid in a tomb and he is the resurrection that John is waiting for. For them to come to John and delight in the light in which he shined and not turn to Christ is complete foolishness. It's a, it's, a, it's a spiritual abortion. You would get so long and then just kill it all off. It's horrible. And that's some of us. You come here because you like fellowship. You come here because you like singing. You come here because you like a religious experience. Yet you refuse to see the one to whom it points. So we see here Christ is defending himself and demonstrating that he indeed is the Son of God. That through him and in him are life. And it's, he has every right to claim that he is equal with God the Father, that he is sent by God the Father, that he can heal this man at the pool of Bethesda. Now what are we going to see? The witness of his works. Let's read uh, the, the latter half of, well, let's just read the whole of Verse 36 here. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, not my own, but the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works I am doing, what do they do? They bear witness. Here we have yet another witness. They bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. We don't know how spiritually blind we are until Christ opens our eyes. We see him healing on the Sabbath, but we don't actually see what it's all about. We read it, but we don't see what's happening behind it. All of this, they're given by God the Father, not of his own will. No, he's doing what he sees his Father's doing. And the purpose of these works are to yet be another witness. You have John the Baptist, now you have all of these works that he's been doing. Yet another witness to prove that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is a son of God. And look at the tense here. They bear witness, they continue to bear witness. It's this ongoing thing. You can't escape it, you can't run away from it. The healing and the changing of water and the wine. Yes, those actions are done, but they continue to bear witness to Christ. They loudly exclaim that the Father has sent the Son. And that the Son is accomplishing everything that the Father has put before Him. So that all creation might be restored. All of creation. And that you too, that you too might be restored. All of this is being Proclaimed by Christ through his works. I pray that we are not blind. I, that was me for decades. I pray that you won't be blind like the Pharisees. Should we read little as you read through the Gospels? Should we read about this man who's been restored back to health and, and think so little of it? What about the, the water and Tending into rhyme. What do you do with the resurrection of Lazarus? What do you do with that? How do you contend with the resurrection of Christ? 
the greatest work that demands our worship and allegiance to Christ. What do you do with it? How do you contend with these? These actions, what do they do? These works of Christ, they compel us towards belief. The crucifixion, the resurrection are not just historically accurate. Yes, they are. But what are they doing? They're these self-authenticating works that are compelling you to believe. So the crucifixion is not just where Christ has taken all of the sins of all of his people for all time upon himself. It is that. But the crucifixion is also challenging you, calling you to believe. Do you see what, how they're working, right? Same thing with the resurrection. It's not just that he's conquering death and putting death to death. But the resurrection is calling you to believe in the resurrection, that Christ is resurrection, that you too will have resurrection through him. That's the purpose of these works. Not that we sit back and go, oh, that's, that's quite astounding. No, they're challenging you. Do you believe they're true? And if they are, they demand your worship for the one who did them. That's the purpose of this witness of these works. All right, so we see John the Baptist. This burning light. You're going to look to him, but you don't see this massive arrow that's pointing to Christ. John the Baptist, the works of Christ. Now we're going to see briefly the voice of our Heavenly Father. The witness of the Father. Verse 37. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. You see all of these various things that are bearing witness. The Father who has sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you. This is not, that's not a good thing. You do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Here you see the evidence is starting to pile up against them. Right? The ones to whom they went. The ones to whom they would cling to instead of clinging to Christ are now rising up in condemnation against them. It is the Father's voice raining down from the heavens that they were there and they heard. That is baptism. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. They have heard the Father's voice. Even at his transfiguration, you have the voice of God the Father raining down on them. This is my beloved son. Listen. Listen to him. And there's even more. God the Father has spoken audibly. But God the Father speaks primarily through scripture that we're going to be looking at now. So we see this witness of scripture as well. Let's go back to the text. Verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You refuse. You refuse to come to me that you may have life. And this evidence of scripture is quite profound. It demonstrates, all of scripture is demonstrating how Jesus is going to come as the Messiah. All of it is pointing to it. You go to Luke 24, when 
Christ is walking with Cleopas, and I would say Luke as well. And beginning with Moses and with all of the prophets, he explained to them these things concerning himself in all of the Scripture. How all of Scripture, the prophets, the writings, everywhere, the law, they're all pointing to Christ. How do you think it was that Paul was able to go into these synagogues? He, go, he gets saved and he's right away. He's in Damascus. He's blinded on the way. He gets saved. God pulls the scales off his eyes. He's able to see physically, spiritually, he's able to see. What does he do? But Saul, Paul, increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by what? By proving that Jesus was the Christ. And how did he do it? Through the Old Testament. He proved it. There's no way around it. Like, I, I don't know what to say. I don't, I don't agree with you, but I don't know what to say. Then also in Acts 17, Paul went in and was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, from the Old Testament. Explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus, this Jesus, whom I am proclaiming to you, this Jesus is the Messiah. It's not just kind of maybe, it's not as though we look back now and go, oh, a couple kernels here and there, Psalm 23, maybe he'll be a good shepherd Genesis 22, maybe it'll be the sacrifice of the... No, the whole thing is pointing to Christ. Why do you think we labored for about two years going through every book of the Bible so that you will be able to see this and go, this is all pointing to Christ. The whole thing. All of creation, all of Scripture is pointing to Christ. It should be obvious. But it's, it's not. <laughs> they miss it. They think that in the scriptures, that they will excuse themselves. But it is these scriptures that stand over and accuse them. It is through the scriptures that the Father speaks to them, drawing you, drawing them to see Christ, to trust in him. It's true. It's there. Can you see it? If you can't see it, then it's your blindness. It's not that it's not true. Do you get it? If you don't believe, it's, you're the one at fault. It's your blindness. We can't objectify. We shall never put ourselves over God to determine if it's true or not. For those who hadn't come to Christ, the, the, the very scriptures, they will appear to scripture. You, children, the very scriptures that you grow up hearing in your home, believe in them. They're not just the words of your parents. They're the words of God for you to believe. 
And these, these scriptures, they will be the first things then to accuse you. As you look in the, in the end of the verses here. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. Moses, on whom, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, then you would have believed me. Moses is talking about me. Don't you get it? You would have believed me. For he wrote of me. Verse 47. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe mine? You don't even believe in that which you believe. You say you believe. Because it points to me. These first century Jews, they had the scriptures, yet they missed Christ. Did they have doctrine? Absolutely. In abundance. Some of it was right. Some of it was wrong. The main part was wrong. They didn't have Christ. Many of you are in this church because you love doctrine. And I commend you for that. And rightfully so. But keep it in its proper place. It is means by which you will come to Christ and adore Christ. Listen to me. Young man who's here because you love Reformed doctrine, we're glad you're here. But if your study of Scripture does not bring you to delight in Christ, you have the theology of the Pharisees. All of your study, wherever you're at, you're in Leviticus, all of it is pointing to Christ. Wherever you're at, studying Scripture, it should be bringing you to delight in Christ and in Christ alone. They, what did they do? They studied the Scriptures. They knew them. They memorized them. They would be able to open up. They knew him so well. Put a pin through, and they knew the word on the backside, and then this, and where it hit here, and the word it would hit there, and the word it would hit there. They knew their scriptures. But they were blind. Absolutely blind. They looked in the right place. But they were like blind men groping around as they read the scriptures unable to see where they were actually at. All right, just a brief recap here. We have John the Baptist, who is a burning light, burning with the light of Christ. We have the works of Christ as well, piled on top of that, another witness that you must contend with if you do not yet believe. John the Baptist, the works of Christ, the voice of Heavenly Father, and the voice primarily of our Heavenly Father, primarily through Scripture. All of those things are pointing to Christ. So your problem is not that I healed this man on the Sabbath. That's not it. Your problem is that you don't believe. See what he's telling them. You must believe. You, sitting here, if you don't believe, you have no excuse not to believe. God has given you every reason to believe, hasn't he? What more shall he do? He's bringing you, drawing you, working in your heart that you will give everything to Him and believe. So what do we do? Briefly, I'll wrap this up quickly. We, who are the witnesses now? We have all of these witnesses. Who are the witnesses now? You guys. 
You guys are the witnesses. You shall be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What do we do here? Number one, like John the Baptist, burn with the light of Christ. Burn with the light of Christ. We live in a world of darkness. Let the light of Christ burn within you. Let your light shine before others, as Christ would say in the Sermon on the Mount. And when this happens, what does it look like? But just like it did with John the Baptist, those who don't particularly like the light will still be drawn to it, won't they? The Pharisees had scales over their eyes, but they could still see the light. They hated God, but they would still come to this burning light. So if you're living this out, and you find yourself surrounded by people that are emotionally and spiritual messes, well, good job. Keep it up, right? Keep going. Perhaps they're coming to you because you are the burning light. They see the light of Christ burning within you. Burn for Christ. Number two, let your works declare the glory of God. It was another witness of Christ was his own works. And yes, you may never heal a man who's been ill for 38 years. You will never feed 5,000 people with one meal. But we are reassured by this by your love for one another, by your works. By this, the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The spirit that was in Christ is now in you, believer. And though your works may never be as profound as Christ, listen to this, though your works may never be as profound as Christ, they can have the same message, that Jesus Christ is Lord, sent by God, and you must believe in him. Now, what does this, what does this look like if this happens? But those who came to you because you're a burning bright light, now they'll get pretty close, but then they'll begin opposing you, won't they? A godly life lived in this world, surrounded by people of this world who hate God, well, it's natural that it will bring them to also hate you. Won't it? Won't it? Your actions are not to impress them, but your godliness is to tell the story of a redeeming Christ who has come, who loves his people, and he will hold them to the end. And finally, let your words be the words of Scripture. Burn brightly in the light of Christ. Let your works also be the works of Christ, not in scale, but telling the same story. Finally, let your words, what you speak, be the words of Scripture. It is in these words of Scripture that we have eternal life. And it is in these words of Scripture that they bring us to Christ. It's in these words, right? Wasn't it Scripture that you heard? When you were first cut deep in your heart, it wasn't a story about some of the other man's life. No, it was scripture that you heard and convicted you of your sins. And when this happens, when your words are the words of scripture, those around you won't just oppose you, 
They'll begin turning to Christ, won't they? Your light will attract them, but that's not enough to save them. Your godly life may bring them to oppose you, but again, that won't save them. It is the words of life that are found in Scripture that they can have Christ through them. So what do you do? Wash your wife, wash your bride in the water of the Word. Wash your children in the water of the Word. Let your conversations be dripping with the dew of Scripture so that others may know that Jesus Christ, our Savior, is God. Brothers and sisters, we have every witness compelling you to believe in Christ. We have John the Baptist. We have the works of Christ. We have our Heavenly Father in Scripture itself standing as a witness, all pointing to Christ that you might believe. And if you do believe, brothers, remember this week, you now are the witness of Christ, the one who will burn brightly, the one who will love and have the works of Christ, and the one who will draw people in through Scripture to trust in Christ and Christ alone. Let us pray. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we do not have to walk around in darkness, that you have given us so much. You have lovingly cared for your people in so many ways. Prophet after prophet after prophet, pen after pen, have bringing us, brought us the word, the word of God. God, thank you for that. Let us not stand in opposition to what you have set before us, but let us delight in Christ to whom everything points. God, may our hearts and may our lives also point towards you this week that others may know and others may confess and others may trust in you and you alone. We pray this in your son's name.